0: Verses 9 through 22. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are my witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house, like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, And when he went into her, her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is born a son to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashton, and Nashton begat Salmon. Salmon begat Zoaz, and Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begot David.
1: If you're with us for the first time this morning, we've been following the story of Ruth for the past couple of months. Carol and James' excellent book, Finding God on the, in the Margins, is our primary source, and today we're going to come to the finish. This is the last time, for a while at least, that we'll spend time together in the book of Ruth. I reserve the, the right to come back to it occasionally. This is a wonderful story I have found. But my task today is to bring together the loose ends of this amazing little story. And focus them on Jesus, in particular on the sacrifice Jesus made to rescue us and redeem us, the human family, from extinction. And we're going to do all that within 20 minutes, so we're going to get right to it. And I think maybe the best way for me to to do this is just like the book of Ruth does in the verses that Daryl just read to us a moment ago, and that is to focus on the names that are listed here. It's kind of a who's who in Bethlehem. And the primary question that we'll ask as we go is this one. Who is the real Goel in the story? Who is really the kinsman redeemer? If you know anything at all about the book Book of Ruth by this point, you know that the plot hinges on this law of rescue having to do with the near kinsman, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel. And over the past few weeks, we've thought about how Ruth launched a costly mission to rescue the family of Elimelech by combining the spirit rather than the letter of the Leverite marriage law and the kinsman-redeemer law and challenging Boaz to join her in that risky venture. It required some radical revision of local custom and of Mosaic law to make it happen. And Boaz invests his honor and his status as Hail, a man of valor, in order to make it come to pass. Last week, we considered the enormous price tag of that rescue mission and watched with all the people of Bethlehem as the nearest kinsman redeemer, Mr. No-Name, backed away. The cost was simply too high. The sacrifice required too great, and his name was lost to history as a result of that choice. So Boaz took upon himself the responsibility and sacrifice to stand in as Elimelech's Goel. We finished last week with his magnificent vow made in front of the Bethlehem elders to redeem Elimelech's land and to take Ruth as his wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name wouldn't perish from the rolls of Israel against all human odds, because Ruth is barren, you remember. Boaz willingly depletes his own estate. He draws down his own resources in order to rescue a dead man's family, because he bets Yahweh will come through and accept the miracle that Ruth has laid on the altar. This is where we pick up the story this morning, right there, as Boaz challenges the townspeople not only to ratify the business transaction that's just been concluded, but to witness his vow to see that Elimelech's family name is not lost if God will come through. Today, you are witnesses, he says, The elders and the people gathered around, they stand amazed by what they have just seen and heard. It's another moment of awakening for them. And remember, we talked about awakenings last week, how God sometimes comes to us and he gives us a vivid glimpse of his kingdom and how it works. And for a moment, it seems so incredibly real and close, like Lucy stepping into Narnia for the first time. And now these people, too, have just witnessed the gospel breaking into their world at the Bethlehem gates. The kinsman redeemer, at great personal cost, has stepped up to save a dead man's family name. And they are overwhelmed with God's goodness. Listen to what they say. We are witnesses... May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel with a little bit of help from Zilpah and Bilhah, remember. Let's not forget those. Rachel and Leah are two of the greatest female luminaries in Israel's storied past. And now these elders are praying that God will make Ruth a foreigner a Moabite equal with them it's another gospel moment when a gentile woman is scooped up into the family circle and fully embraced and it happens even before anybody knows whether God will actually come through or not and bless her with bless her union with Boaz with offspring but they're hoping aren't they and they're praying And that's not all. Listen to what they say next. Through the offspring the Lord gives you through this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Tamar, another famous foreigner, a Canaanite who becomes the revered mother of their tribe. I mean, if it wasn't for Tamar, there would be no tribe of Judah. And she's got one of the most tragic And yet, courageous tales of any woman in the Bible. We'll examine her story in more detail come next Christmas. But Ruth from Moab and Tamar from Canaan have a lot in common, and the town people know it. Both are widows. Both their family lines are in danger of dying out and both take enormous risks in the face of the culture to rescue their dead husbands and their families from extinction. I mean, Tamar rescues the whole line of Judah. Tamar, who was actually Judah's daughter-in-law, has a son by him, and they name him Perez. Perez, from whom Elimelech, and Mr. No Name, and Boaz, and all the other Bethlehemites are descended. All these folks know very well. They owe their very lives to Tamar. Now these villagers pray that Ruth, like Tamar, will produce a family of greatness that measures up to Perez's family. They have no clue how God will surpass all their expectations when he answers that prayer, but he will. Oh, he will. We know that because the narrator is about to tell us the rest of the story. And from here on out, the pace accelerates. A whole year, maybe two, are compressed down now into just a couple of sentences. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The birth of this miracle baby boy is perhaps the high point of the whole book. God has indeed come through. Everything comes together now and coalesces on this tiny baby. And by the way, he's three quarters foreigner himself, all right? He's three quarters Gentile. His mother is full blooded Moabite, and his father is the son of Salmon and Rahab the woman from Jericho, the Canaanite, which makes what they say next all the more amazing. The the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Now, I want you to look back for just a moment at verse 11, the part we skipped over where the elders are praying at the city gates for Boaz. They say to Boaz, May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And there's that word of honor again, that word ha'il. It means man of valor, of honor, of high reputation and power. Of course, these elders all know Boaz is already haiel, don't they? But they pray he's going to even become more famous. Notice that word famous. That he'll become more famous in Bethlehem. And a year later, that's exactly what these women are praying now for Ruth's baby boy. May he become famous, but not only in Bethlehem, they say, throughout all Israel. In other words, may he be even more high than Boaz. May his honor and his reputation flow well beyond the borders of this little town so that the whole nation will come to revere him. So there they are now, all three of them, Boaz, mighty man of valor, Ruth, a mighty woman of valor, of noble character, and all the, to- all the townspeople know that, and now the son, he too will carry this high reputation, they pray. He too will be Haiel. And for the second time, they have no blooming clue how far God will surpass even their highest expectations. But this should be a clue for us as we seek to answer our question. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Wait a minute. It's Ruth's son, isn't it? I mean, Ruth is his mother. Nope. It's Naomi's son. Naomi is his mother. And here, at the last, is the final and greatest sacrifice of all. Ruth gives up her child. She gives up her son, her one and only son. She bears him for Naomi and gives him up to her. And it's through this son the women say, that Naomi's life will be restored. This is the gospel in the book of Ruth. But in fact, Ruth isn't even mentioned anymore in the story at all. And the book ends in a way that we don't expect. Boaz and Ruth are both gone from sight, a final indication that the story is much more than just a mere romance. They didn't start a family. They rescued one, and in the end, only the old woman is left, holding the child who is her future and the future of everyone in the town. And they named him Obed. That's where the story of Ruth should have ended if it were just a human story, right there. And they named him Obed. That is the end of the story. As far as Ruth knows, as far as Naomi knows, as far as Boaz will ever know, they will go to their graves, all of them, knowing that this is how their story finishes. The family of Elimelech is rescued. And the credits roll. Except that it's not. There's more. And now the narrator finally draws back the curtain. And in a single sentence... He tells us where this is all going. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And David, of course, is Israel's greatest king and the progenitor of Jesus. Through Jesus, the whole human family is redeemed. Without ever realizing it, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz have redeemed Israel's royal line, this son, will be grandfather to King David and direct ancestor of Messiah to come. In this wonderful statement, Naomi has a son, all the strands of the story finally come together. All the years of suffering and death, the radical vow on the Bethlehem road, God's mission for both the women... Their true contributions toward the kingdom all unite in this one small baby boy, but not in the way we might expect. Little Obed, he doesn't bring meaning and purpose to to Naomi or Ruth. Ruth's life found its purpose when she embraced Yahweh on the Bethlehem Road, and she vowed to pour out her life for Naomi. Naomi. Naomi's life found its purpose in the pile of raw grain poured out by Ruth when she realized God's love for her had not failed. God had not withdrawn from her nor left her. She was still his beloved daughter. Obed doesn't bring meaning and purpose to their lives as much as he becomes beneficiary of all these two women have gained as they have suffered and sacrificed he will carry their past with him into the future. From the mother who gave him birth, Obed will inherit a caliber of faith in God that just will not give up. It will not waver, no matter how daunting the obstacles, no matter how long the odds. The courageous blood of a risk-taker runs in his tiny veins. With a mother like that, It shouldn't surprise anyone to hear of Obed's grandson, armed only with five smooth stones and a sling, standing up to a fearsome giant of a warrior named Goliath. From this woman, he will learn all about sacrifice in the stories she tells of all Boaz has done for his grandfather Elimelech and in all she has done for Naomi. Word will become legend about the costly sacrifice Ruth has made for her mother-in-law. The women of Bethlehem get it exactly right. Naomi is actually better off with Ruth than if she had seven sons of her own. And Naomi, for her part, is not merely Obed's doting grandma or, her de- or her de- his dear old granny. She is his mother. She will raise him as her own, completely unaware that the whole world is counting on the baby she cradles in her arms for the fulfillment of God's promises to redeem his people and put right a fallen world. Imagine the enormous responsibility of raising such a child. And yet God chooses Naomi to be Obed's teacher, and she's ready, to, ready for the job because she's gained wisdom in the school of suffering from discovering through the terrible dark night of the soul that God's hesed never gives up, never runs out, never turns away, always comes through, that his love is truly an everlasting love. Maybe through all her years of trouble, Naomi thought as if her life were being dismantled and she were being put out of action, but God was actually raising her up and equipping her for a mission-critical kingdom assignment to raise the grandfather of a king. As one writer has said, the dark night of the soul is a terrible place to be, but that's where God trains some of his best warriors. No psalm, bears the name of Naomi as its author, but traces of her theology are scattered through the psalms of David, who would one day write, Surely goodness and mercy, Hesed, in other words, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's theological roots can be traced back through his father Jesse to his grandfather Obed, the child Naomi holds in her arms, the child who learns deep lessons about God at the knee of this female Job. And so then, our question, who is the real kinsman-redeemer in the book of Ruth? Who's really who in the little town of Bethlehem? If you say it's Boaz, you're in very good company and plenty of it, Almost everybody commenting on the book of Ruth agree it's Boaz. He is the man of valor who spends his treasure to redeem a dying family to win back a lost inheritance. And thus Boaz foreshadows the magnificent work of Jesus, our great elder brother and kinsman redeemer who came to earth to rescue the dying human family the mighty man of valor who faced off against Satan to redeem the inheritance we've lost. Boaz also foreshadows the sacrifice of God the Father who emptied the treasuries of heaven to give us Jesus to send his his son to a lost world where we rejected him and mocked him and crucified him. And yet to those who do receive him, he gives the right To become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will. But miracle children like Obed. Sons and daughters of God. So then, it's Boaz. But wait a minute. Maybe it's not as simple as that. Because it wasn't Boaz's rescue plan at all, was it? It was Ruth's. She was the one who challenged Boaz to join her. Could it possibly be that Ruth actually plays the part of the real Goel in this book that bears her name? Ruth, who pledges her life for Naomi and gives herself up for her. Ruth, whose name means friend, remember? foreshadowing the great sacrifice of Jesus, a friend of sinners, who pledged his blood for us and gave himself up for us all so that we might be saved. In offering up her one and only son to save Naomi, she prefigures the risky love of God the Father, who, because of the vow he made, gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. So then, could it be that Ruth is the real Goel? Or is it somebody else? Let's look again at verse 14. And hear again what the women say to Naomi on the day that Obed is born. They say, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer, a Goel. May he, your Goel, become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Through the birth of this son, they say, death and emptiness have given way to life and fullness. So who really is the Goel? It's Obed. It's Obed, whose name means servant of God. He's the real kinsman redeemer of the story, the one on whom all these hopes are fastened. And so it's Obed who points forward and prefigures the work of our heavenly kinsman redeemer, Jesus, the servant of God. Jesus, about whom Isaiah wrote in the great song of the suffering servant, he was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we have been healed. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressions, the transgressors for. He bore the sins of many. Obed will not be the last baby boy born in Bethlehem to hold such a a strategic position in earth's history. Eleven centuries later, another faithful, gutsy young woman will travel the road to Bethlehem so that her baby boy can be born in the city of his ancestors, the land of Elimelech. And there, when the fullness of time comes, God will give his son born of a woman, born under law to redeem us, that we might receive full adoption as sons and daughters of God. And they named him Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for us when our family line was dying out. He came as our great Goel. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. And through the birth of this Son, Jesus, death and emptiness have given way to life and fullness for all of us. From the fullness of His grace, John writes, we have all received one blessing after another. And so it's fitting for us to finish the book of Ruth today with these symbols, tangible reminders, sensory reminders of the love Jesus has for each one of us. The bread reminding us of his broken body, but it was broken so that we don't have to be broken, so that your name and my name might not perish forever from the rolls of the human family the juice, revealing the high cost, reminding us of the blood he poured out, the promise he made to us, the vow, in other words, the new covenant in his blood that our sins will not determine our demise. Rather, we are forgiven. He laid down his life. Why? Because of his deep deep love for us. He has pledged himself to us with cords of love that cannot be broken. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the gospel we celebrate this morning, foreshadowed long ago in the lives of two courageous women and a man, and a tiny newborn baby boy. In the story of Ruth. So, Doug, come up and lead us in this song that we're going to sing. We've we've heard this song before in January when we were not uh, permitted to sing it. We've heard it, and today we're going to sing it. And uh, John and. Daryl, come up and join me here at the table, and deacons, come up and take your places as we celebrate the gospel together.